0: So first off, um, wow, it's really snowing out there. Okay. Um, first off, let me explain why my son Nash has never, probably never heard me that I'm aware of, burst into his room early in the morning and say, hey, get up. It's because my, Na- my, my son Nash is just naturally an early riser and early mornings make me break out in hives. So he's, he's almost always been up before I am. Um. So he yells at me, uh, that's probably happened at some point. So anyway, uh, in our text, in our gospel reading, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, and he stops here in Bethany, uh, does a thing or two, as you might have noticed. And then in short order, he is welcomed into Jerusalem with pe- people waving palm branches saying, you know, Hosanna! save us, Lord, save us. And, uh, and then things kind of collapse. But not yet. And so Jesus at this point, as he comes to Bethany, um, Lazarus is dead. He knows it. Uh, and apparently it's obvious because people are mourning. Um, grief in that culture was very public, which is different from ours. Uh, grief tends to be pretty private, but not so for them. And uh, if you notice, Martha, uh, at least, I don't know, to my eyes, attempts like the world's biggest guilt trip on Jesus, the only Son of God. When When she says, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Ouch. Right? And then... She says and yet even now I know that God'll give you whatever you ask. Wink. <laughs> so from from just a literary standpoint, John has telegraphed what's going to happen. It is not a surprise what's coming necessarily. Uh, but I want to focus on a couple of things there's the, because there's a lot going on. With the book of John, there's always more going on than we realize because Jesus repeatedly throughout this reading, and this reading uh, kind of skips the middle section just because the reading would have been really long, uh, Jesus consistently first engages with people's grief. So he meets Martha. Martha, um, maybe her her attempt to guilt trip Jesus is really more so an expression of grief. Because, I, and I've seen this um, a, a ton of times, people who are extremely anxious or extremely grief-stricken or mourning can tend to become control freaks. Um, I I don't raise your hand, but how many of us have seen that? Where somebody is kind of going around and nitpicking and trying to kind of control everything that happens around them, and you step back and realize, oh, it's because of this that they're doing that. I think maybe something like that is happening with Martha. That's pretty normal for what it's worth. And then Jesus... um, Jesus tells Martha what he's going to do. said, your brother will live. But Martha, being pretty narrowly focused at this point, which is also really common if you're grief-stricken or anxious, she says, I know that he will be raised from the dead on the last day. Now, that is classic ancient Jewish uh, belief. In fact, uh, it's pretty much just a subset of Judaism. Uh, the Pharisees and the people like involved in uh, Qumran, so the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, those are, they're pretty much the only Jewish groups, official Jewish groups, that believe in this idea of resurrection. And she is expressing this idea. But then Jesus flips the script a little bit because he then says, I am the resurrection. That phrase has bugged me. Um, At least for this last week as I've been kind of looking through and and thinking about this message. Because one, it seems to come out of left field. And two, it doesn't make any sense until you really mull it over. Here's maybe uh, an analogy, a dumb analogy. I I get that. But an an analogy nonetheless. If, say, I get paid on the 20th of every month. Or you get paid, because I I don't get paid on the 20th of every month. Uh, So that's when payday comes. And say you don't have enough money, and it's the 15th, to buy groceries and pay some bills. And you were to express this to somebody. And they were to say, so, so you say, my paycheck isn't coming until the 20th, and it's the 15th, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that person says, I am the paycheck. <laughs> Look, I told you this was a bad analogy, but let's stick it through. <laughs> but they say, I am the paycheck. You'd probably step back and go, huh. But what would they be saying? they would probably be saying, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to act. I'm going to do something here and now. And what they are going to do is intertwined with who they are. So in the ridiculous paycheck analogy, it would mean they're probably wealthy or known to be generous or something like that. So Jesus is staking a claim about who he is, and who he is is going to be wrapped up and tied up with how he deals with this whole dead brother thing. Now, the part that, that we kind of skipped over in the reading again because it would have just been really long, Jesus then connects with the grief of Mary, Lazarus's other sister, See, Martha comes out, she's notoriously a little more practically minded, which is not a bad thing, but Mary, she can't even get out of the house, and people are there mourning with her, she finds out that Jesus is there, Some, uh, she and others rush over to Jesus, and they're again grief-stricken, and then Jesus wants to see where Lazarus is laid, and and famously, Jesus comes to the tomb, he sees the grief of everybody, and the shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. That's an odd behavior for somebody who probably knows what he's about to do, isn't it? Have you ever wondered why Jesus weeps? I mean, other than we believe he's fully divine and fully human, and that's a pretty normal human response. So that's probably true. Um, but I think there's something else going on. Because you, you, you see, if you go back, and I would challenge you to do this, go back to John 11 and, and kind of read through it, Jesus consistently connects with grief. And human beings need that. Don't raise your hand. I will, but you don't feel like you need to. Who here likes to just fix things? Instead of dealing with the emotions and the grief and the the usual human things that swirl on around them. Please do not elbow those you are with. I like to fix things. I'm very solution-oriented, so if somebody's upset about something and I can tell why, it's like, all right, cool, let me just fix that. And time and time again, that is not what you should do initially. (laughs) In fact, the first thing you should do is connect with them in that grief. That doesn't necessarily mean feel what they feel, but recognize and acknowledge that that's how they are feeling. I can see this is really hard for you. I'm hearing that you are really anxious about this. No wonder, because this is going to affect your life in X number of ways. A little bit of empathy can take people really far. If Jesus had just walked in and said, oh right, Lazarus is dead, snap, and then he comes stumbling around, man, that's emotional whiplash. That would be painful. That would be really weird. But instead, the way John presents Jesus in this moment is as this this divine Son of God, fully human as well, first and foremost, entering into that human experience, empathizing, expressing grief, meeting people where they are in that grief, I I would argue, and, and I've seen this in my own life, I suspect I am not alone, that just doing that has tremendous healing potential. It has the potential to get people unstuck, get out of that anxiety, get out of that moment where all they can see is, is just this pain or just this moment, and it, it has start, their, the brain actually starts to kind of work a little bit better, and it engages like the neofrontal cortex and all of that, and then they can start to actually process what's going on. Jesus does this First. And so on the one hand, we can talk about Jesus just being really emotionally intelligent, and honestly, that's a really good model for us as well, identifying where people are before we even attempt to try to fix them. Uh, I'm a huge, massive hypocrite for bringing this up because, again, I like to fix things. But we also get something a little deeper because the image that, that of Jesus that John portrays, is one of God not being afraid to enter into grief with us. That's huge. Because sometimes when we talk about God, the all creator of the universe, um, that can come across as very uncaring, unfeeling, unemotional, um, distant, but the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is one who engages. Engages with his people and meets us where we're at. God is not afraid of our grief, of our anger, our anxiety, our depression, our sadness. God, that does not make God uncomfortable. It may make some of us uncomfortable, but Jesus does not run from that. In fact, he comes and meets it. And then, as, the star, as, as John is weaving this through the story, we see that Jesus conquers death for Lazarus. And so he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, John um, is written differently from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the different stories of Jesus' life. John is filled with these hints and suggestions that there's something deeper going on in the story. In Hebrew, it's orremez. Um, it's um, these suggestions that the, the story is not just the story. The text is not just the text. It's like looking at a piece of modern art, and you look at it and go, I know there's something I'm supposed to get that's deeper, and I don't get it. That's how I often feel approaching John. Um, the, the Gospel of John is oriented around seven miracles that Jesus performs. It begins with turning water into wine at the, uh, the wedding at Cana. My favorite of the miracles. I'd like to think it's a nice Napa cab, but whatever. Um, and then it continues. And for a while, he identifies this is the first sign, this is the second sign, and then he just kind of stops. But if you count, there are seven And in kind of a classic first-century Jewish way of thinking, uh, that pattern of seven is sort of obvious. And yet, there's a twist. Because if you know your Bible, you know how the story of Jesus goes, he's going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Passover is celebrated over seven days. Sort of. Because by this time... Passover is celebrated seven days plus one. And so as Jesus performs these seven signs or miracles, a a very astute reader, smarter than me, I have to look this stuff up, will know there's the seven miracles, and that seventh miracle is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. What's the seventh plus one? In two weeks we'll have that reading. John will tell us on the first day of the new week, the tomb is empty. Jesus defeats not only the death of that one guy who lives in Bethany, but he defeats death itself. Which reframes And retells the story of all our grief, all our brokenness, all our sin, all our anxiety and depression and sadness and struggle in light of the one who not only fixes things, but meets us in that moment. But first, he has to make his way to Jerusalem. And we'll hear more about that next week. Amen. I invite you to rise as you are able.